Intersection is brought to you by Social Health Institute, exploring new and innovative ways for hospitals and healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategies. Learn more at socialhealthinstitute.com. And I say, what do you think we should do to them? Should we tell them, go back home, we don't want you here? And when the child raises his hand and she says, no, what are we supposed to do? Open our hearts and welcome them. It's the most natural thing to do, say, you know? If a child can understand that, why can't us adults understand that, you know? Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. It is February 7, 2017, and we find ourselves in Catholic Charities Humanitarian Respite Center, right downtown McAllen, Texas. McAllen is the largest city in Hidalgo County, Texas, and the 22nd most populous city in Texas. It is located at the southern tip of the state in the Rio Grande Valley. The city limits extend south to the Rio Grande across the Mexican city of Reynosa, and McAllen is approximately 70 miles west of the Gulf of Mexico. As of 2017, McAllen is the fifth most populous metropolitan area in the state of Texas. We're getting a tour, learning about their operation, their mission to help those who have crossed the border and have been released from ICE to begin the process of seeking asylum. One of the volunteers explains his name is Eli. When the families arrive, we're gonna, we're gonna, they're gonna walk in through these doors where you guys just walked in through. And who are the families? The, the, the refugee families that, that come in. We, we call them families. Why, why, why do you call them refugees? Because that's what they are. Uh-huh. You know, they're not, I mean, they're not undocumented aliens or illegal aliens or anything. They're, they're, they're coming from the processing center. They do have documents. They are documented. Uh, and they're seeking asylum uh, because of, like I said, the violence and everything going on. So. I'm traveling with a group from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and Buckner Missions to learn more about immigration and the impact inside our communities. We are asking questions during this tour. And you're seeing different types of people. You describe mainly families. Mainly families. Like I say, sometimes we'll have the single pregnant female that will come in. Uh, and those are released because probably they don't want to have, you know, babies being born in the detention center. So... So those are being and they've typically, you said, they've come across, they've gone to border control, <laughs> gone through ICE, been dropped off. Mm-hmm. Can you describe that one more time, real quickly? Yeah. So, so they're processed. They're, they're detained, of course, by border patrol and processed at their detention center, and then uh, transferred over to ICE custody, where where they're going to be processed and given their documentation, and eventually uh, some of them will be will be released. Uh, at the bus station and then we we bring them from the bus station here to the center so that we can provide the necessary items and and things that they need for you know to get them ready for the trip the humanitarian respite center was created to provide a way station for asylum seekers from central american countries moving through mcallen texas the respite center mainly serves women and children who have traveled together as a family and have been paroled from detention centers while they await their asylum court hearing This ministry provides welcome relief and support, especially for those fleeing traumatic and life-threatening circumstances in their home countries. This relief is in the form of food, shower, clothes, and a way to connect with their families and friends in the United States so they can find a safe travel to their destination. 
So walk us through. So we're, they're going to come in through the doors. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to applaud for them as they walk in. Uh-huh. And then we'll bring them over and guide them over to these chairs that, that are over on this side. Uh, they're going to they're gonna have a seat and we're going to register the families as they come in. Uh, we, we take down basic information, the name, date of birth, where they're from, the destination, where they're, where they're going, who's going to, the relationship of the person receiving them, a phone number, and the time of their departure from the bus station and the time of their arrival at their destination. And that, and that we use so that in case the family forgets or they didn't get contacted to see what time they were going to arrive, we'll have that information for the family. Explain the map for me. The map is we, we, we show them uh, when, when they're here and we're registering them. We show them where they're at, McAllen. And then where they're going to, like say the majority of the families are coming up, up into the east coast area, uh, probably about 55 to 60 percent are coming up this way. When Eli says coming up this way, he is pointing towards the east coast on the United States map. I live in Anderson, South Carolina, a destination point for many Hispanics seeking work and reconnecting with their families. Anderson County, South Carolina has experienced a 400 percent Hispanic Latino population increase from 2000 to 2010, according to Juana Slay, the Chief Diversity Officer of AnMed Health, which is Anderson County's community hospital. AnMed Health has experienced 17,000 encounters in 2017 with the Hispanic Latino population. So, what happens next after 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 we've registered them? Uh, we we do also put this this sheet of paper says, "Please help me." I do not speak English. What bus do I need to take? And then thank you for your help. And here she comes. A pregnant lady traveling from Guatemala walks through the door. Her name is Kimberly. As we watched her walk in, Ellen Seacrest, minister from Boulevard Baptist Church in Anderson, South Carolina, shares from the heart. What did you just witness when we walked there, when our friend walked in the door? Describe it to me. Oh, there was joy in her face. What you can't see right now are tears on her face. What were your feelings as she's searching for words? Good for her. She's a young pregnant girl traveling alone. And we don't know her story yet. But for me, someone willing to go to these links has a great story. Usually a very tragically sad story that you're willing to leave everything you know and own and come in her case for her child. We constantly say we want to be Jesus' people and be like Jesus. And I can't imagine Jesus opening that door and saying to this young woman, sorry, we can't take you. She sits down with a volunteer to start the process. <laughs> Javier Perez from Buckner Missions chats with her as he learns more about her journey. Kimberly has agreed to an interview but wants to take a few minutes to get something to eat and take a shower before sitting down for a quick interview. <clears throat> Blake Hart from the Carolina Immigration Alliance shares what he witnessed. All right, so describe what we're seeing right now. What are we seeing right now? A young pregnant lady just walked in, um, a recent migrant from somewhere, a refugee, um, and so currently he is processing her, um, looking at her bus ticket, seeing where she's heading, um, and will be um, helping her begin her journey. What do you think 
where has he explained where she's probably come from? What's um, her path? Most likely she's coming from Central America, um, Honduras, El Salvador, um, Guatemala, uh, are the three most common countries. Um, escaping violence of some sort, most likely. Um, trying to find her family who's probably already living here uh, and trying to get a better life. Why should Baptist churches care? Um, because she's a, a human created in God's image and uh, we're called to be good neighbors to everyone who is near us and, uh, and for some reason she is near us now and so we should reach out and love. Did you feel a sen sense of celebration when she walked in the door? Uh, a sense of celebration and honestly a uh, there's a sense of extreme sadness that she had to come here, um, that, that her circumstances uh, caused her to have to leave family. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine someone I know, my wife, my sister, pregnant, having to escape the country and make that tra that journey um, while expecting a child, and knowing that they're leaving people behind who would love that child. So, what did you just learn about this lady? Well, I know she, she was in the hospital. Uh, she just got out of the hospital. Um, she was a little dehydrated and having some contractions, but there, she's okay to travel. Okay. Where did, did she say where she's coming from and where she Guatemala. She, she came from Guatemala? Right. Where is she heading? We have chosen not to tell you Kimberly's last name, nor are we going to share her destination, mainly for her safety. Do you want, I wonder if there's family there? Or yes, she, well, she's gonna go to, um, well, actually to a friend's. Yeah. I don't know if she has family. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, is this a typical, I mean, your experience with seeing this type of situation? Yes, not uncommon. At what point for you, you see it so much, how does your heart feel when you see this? on a daily basis? Well, I'm happy that they're being released, you know, that they'll have an opportunity to, to present their case. Yeah. It's, it's hard sometimes hearing some of the stories, but, but at the same time, you know, I know we're doing a good job of you know, helping the families along. Um, I would love for you to just clarify something for people that don't understand. They come across, they're picked up by border, they go to ICE, but they have an opportunity to go see a judge. Can you walk me back through that process of what they, what their experience is? It's not just come over and get dumped off. It's there is a process. Yeah, well, they do. They get released. I mean, they do have appointments that they have to attend with, with the ICE officials, and then eventually they will be uh, given a court date where they're going to present the case to to a judge, and hopefully, you know, the judge will. Uh, deem their case credible and maybe grant them asylum. Bryson Stoddard, who traveled with us, also shares his thoughts. What did you just see? Um, I, you know, saw somewhat a uh, pregnant girl who seemed very young to me come in uh, after after being dehydrated and being from the hospital. Um, and it would be a very complex one. It was interesting because she had a smile on her face, and I saw people welcome her and take care and kind of just ask her questions and. Um, and I saw, like, I just saw, you know, the most, like, whereas I feel like in that situation I would have been so shy and I would have been so scared, the most at peace, peaceful, most 
She definitely wasn't. She definitely didn't. You could tell she didn't feel completely comfortable with the situation, but she was so still open to talk to us and to um, and to share kind of with us. Um, and of course, we we told her to go ahead and get food, uh, and you know we'll talk to her later um, because that's really what she needs more. But I just I didn't see anything threatening, uh, and I. Um, but what I did see was was beautiful and um, and sad, but. But her herself, she was beautiful, and 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 not anything that I would see as threatening at all. When you go back home, you're going to see your family. You're going to see people. They're going to ask you about this trip. Have many different positions on this conversation. What will you share from this experience right here? Yeah, I, I want to tell all of it. So. I've heard the other side and I've gone here and I've heard a little bit of the other side and I want to tell all of it um, because I think I want them to know it. I'm not I didn't come here to just have my views reinforced um, I came here to experience it and so I'm gonna try and do that tell them what I experienced it and I will tell them how it affected me and not how I think it should affect them uh, not tell them how um, or, or try and guilt them, but just say, you know, this is what I experienced, this is how I feel about it, and, and this is what I do about it. And I'll say, I hope that you would want to, you know, at least do something to help as well. Um, but I think the best thing for me to show, it, to make this, to keep this trip from being, you know, just pushing up some sort of political agenda, but just say that, you know, I saw some of the world and I will and, and say that, that that is it and that is what I experience from this world and from what from my viewpoint what I believe was really going on. As Kimberly makes her way to get something to eat I catch back up with Eli and he gives me a tour of the respite center specifically of all the donations that you can see throughout the room. This here is all our donations that have come in from the community and elsewhere you know People, organizations, uh, businesses donate all the clothing, or most of the, most of all this is donated, if not all of it. Um, so this is where we get the clothing from for the families when they come in, the refugee families. We provide them a change of clothing, and this is it right here. This is where we come and do our shopping. Gotcha. Why why is this an important component to what you do here? Well, because um, you know what what we want to do is 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 make the families feel good about themselves as they you know when they leave here they're they're feeling much better than when they arrived uh part of that of course is is being able to be clean mm. uh shower i mean they don't feel like man i haven't showered in two days three days and so yeah this is this is a big part of you know making somebody's um self-esteem you know up back up here you describe that many people have traveled a long time and probably haven't had a shower or have, you know, been able to do basic things. Why is it important to you to provide that opportunity? Well, because like I say, I mean, you know, a person's self-esteem is very important. And so that's part of what we do is to give their dignity back to them and, um, you know, provide them those necessary items so they don't feel self-conscious about sitting next to somebody on the bus and somebody looking at us, you know, or looking at them kind of funny because they haven't showered, they haven't brushed their teeth. Why is this an important ministry for Catholic Charities of USA? 
You could pick a lot of things. You could do a lot of things out there, a lot of good work. Why is this work? Well, it, I mean, and Catholic Charities does do a lot, you know, other than this. They, they feed the homeless, they, you know, they have legal centers and things like that. I mean, they do everything. And this is just another one of those components uh, or part of Catholic Charities, aside from what it, they do. Someone told me yesterday that the Valley is 25 years ahead of the rest of the country when it comes to multi multicultural inclusion and diversity. And and I think that speaks volumes to the culture here. Do you find that true in this? In I, yeah, I believe it's true. I mean, there, you know, you don't see a lot of that um, racial divide here that, that maybe in some of the bigger cities, you know, um, Everybody seems to get along here, and, and something happens, like, say, here. I mean, look at all this. You know, we have boo-boos of donations that have come in from the citizens of this area. So that speaks, you know, a lot about how the people are here in this area, how generous they are. I take a few minutes to look through some of the clothes donated for these families and reflect what I see and find. So this is right here probably the size of what rose would wear i'm holding a jacket just the right size for a six or seven year old by the way rose is my daughter so that tells me that little children rose's size are coming across the border the rio grande to mcallen going through border patrol going through ice getting detained being released and then their families are coming here to clothe little girls this, the age and size of Rose. And my heart breaks for those families that have had to make that horrible decision to, to come across. I mean, it puts it into context. There are clothes, Rose's size. What would we say to people that have children who want a better life for their children. It's, a, it's bigger than us. This puts it all into context. This, this clothing is here for a reason, because there are kids, children, coming across with their families that need our love. Now we get to sit down and hear Kimberly's story. She is tired, but is willing to share a few thoughts from her journey. Javier is interviewing her in Spanish as I record the conversation. You will hear Javier and Kimberly chat briefly, and then I will share the translation. Es bien sencillo. Simplemente estamos queriendo presentar el rostro humano de la situación, ¿verdad? Sí. Um, si nos regresas tu nombre, por favor. Kimberly. Mira, mira. Do you want her to look at the camera or me? Just look at you. Okay. Y'all just have a conversation. <coughs> so. Nos cuentes, Kimberly, ¿de dónde vienes? ¿Por qué viniste y para dónde vas? Javier. Tell us, Kimberly, where are you from? Why did you come and where are you going? Kimberly, well, I come from Guatemala. Like all immigrants that can come here, it's often a better future for my children. How my mother, who's done so much to return the sacrifices she made for me. Javier, so send money back to home? Kimberly, yes. So translate for us. Um, so Kimberly's saying that the reason she's coming here is the same reason why every, every immigrant is coming. She wants to work so that she can give her kid a, a better life. 
And she also wants to work so that she can give her mom a better life. So one of her goals is send money back to Guatemala. Awesome. Overall. Cuéntanos un poco de, 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 de tu casa, donde vienes, que te hizo salir. Javier, tell me a little bit more about your home, where you come from. What made you leave? Kimberly, we are a family of mild means. Little by little, we were moving forward, always lacking money. We too had to work with our dad in the fields of corn, beans, and I have six siblings more. She's basically telling us, telling us about her, her story, her life in Guatemala. Uh, six brothers and sisters, <coughs> six siblings. Um, of course, the pattern remains. Um, not enough food, not enough uh, money, uh, even though they worked really hard in the farm, uh, that's their expertise. Uh, they didn't have enough to make ends meet. Lots of suffering. Ask her about, did she, how did she cross to come over? What was her passage? Si te sientes cómoda, nos podrías contar un poquitico más de cómo fue el cruce? De México para acá. No. Javier, can you tell us a little more about how it was to cross the border from Guatemala to here? Kimberly, well, in truth, from Guatemala to Mexico, it was very exhausting trip. Going from buses to cars, taking risks on the hills, because it wasn't just crossing myself, it was 10 of us in a very tight car. Then after we arrived in Mexico, it was another thing. There it was, only by bus. I can't complain about the trip from Mexico. It was almost very easy. And thank God we were not stopped by immigration. Although in one occasion they stopped us, but they had detained two people from another group and we were able to escape. When we arrived at the border and crossed the river going up, Immigration caught us and they took us to a place they called the ice box. So there it was complicated. When you arrive, they search you and take away your things. Practically, you leave you with a shirt and a jacket, and that's all. They take you inside to eat. They only give you bread and ham and a little bit of juice. Only twice a day, like two in the afternoon and another at two in the morning. And over there, it's terribly cold, and that's how I got sick. I was so sick for two days until they had to take me to the hospital because I started to have contractions. It was hard because they kept you in a big group and you don't have anything to sleep on. You have to sleep on the floor and that affected my back. Remember, I'm eight months pregnant. Javier, so where are you going now? Kimberly, up north. Javier, you have any family there? Kimberly, yes. I'll translate for you in a second. Sir. No, that's fine. Sister Norma Pimentel, Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley Executive Director, shares what makes the respite center in McAllen, Texas, so important. And it starts with trust. They need, they need that commu- support community. <clears throat> Someone where they can go to, they know they can trust. And that trust is very important because they're scared. And one of the things that we established here was that trust, that 
because uh, they were not that sure that we were there to help them. You know, so many people take take advantage of them, and so building that trust, sense of trust and community is important more than more than anything else. Is knowing that I'm coming to a place where I know I, there are people who care about me and that I can go to whatever need. Maybe I won't have a solution for any all the things that they need, but at least I know I can go there and I and this person will not turn me into immigration or will not insult me or things like that. That you can start to identify a community of those folks that really do support them, you know, and they know they can go to you. I think that's important that they have that community. And then of course uh, begin to direct them. They, they need help to be able to know what are the things to become stable in their communities, you know, what are the things that they're going to need, you know, will you need to connect them with uh, with the school, how to get their children in school, would you need to help them uh, <coughs> where to go, what are the things that they're going to need to be part of the community, and uh, and so I think those are the things that you, so, sort of like the social worker kind of role or responsibility, I think that that's important, case somebody that is interested in knowing Okay, you can call us and, and we will see who, who in our community can help you and, and connect you with the right place to go, you know, and, and the right, because they don't know how to speak for themselves, you know, they, you need to, we explain to them how to understand a, a bus ticket, you know, and that's how you need to learn how to explain everything to them as well, you know, anything that they're going to need, they're going to need to be explained, this is how it works here, this is how, what you know, make it simple so they can, they can understand and they can do for themselves, you know. So they can begin to to take care of themselves, and so how to empower them to be okay, you know, wherever they are. And of course, lastly, definitely they need a lawyer, you know, and some some legal representation. And I think that a lot of times the legal representation you don't have to have a lawyer. You have to have somebody who can get trained by lawyers to be able to help them with the basic things that they may need with immigration. Like don't let them go by themselves to the to an immigration office so that they feel uh, they can, you can answer for them and, and we, when they ask them simple questions, you know, that we ourselves here in the United States can pretty much have a good answer. And, and so uh, there are organizations of, of attorneys that are willing to train regular folks to, to learn how to be available and, and of help to immigrants. And I think that's big time important, you know. So. Once again, Sister Norma shares why she feels we must help those in need including these women and children who are trying to cross into the United States, the United States of America, in the America. So we, as a human race, have the right. There's an international law that goes beyond the United States law that states that we're supposed to help that person that is, that is in distress, that's in dire need of help. And that's what they're doing. They're not running away to breaking the law. They're, they're saying, help me, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the Border Patrol is reaching out to help them and get them out of the water, you know, mm-hmm. to save them. Uh, that is the most normal, uh, humane thing to do, to help. I mean, we see animals do that with other animals. <laughs> Why we, as part of the, the animal race, should be able, also be able to do the same and care for those, fam- those people that we see in distress and, in dire need of help, you know, we're not breaking any laws to do that, you know, and especially because really, our unfortunately, our country needs to update their their immigration um, their immigration laws and understanding what a refugee is. And today, in our time, 
a refugee is someone who is fleeing the reality that these countries are facing right now, you know, and the violence that they're having to deal with. Mm -hmm. So if they are refugees, we in the United States have the responsibility to open our doors and to welcome them. They should not be going through the river, they should go through the bridge, but they're having to go through the bridge to the river for several reasons. One of them is because they're afraid that they can't go through. One and another is that the uh, the traffickers, the coyote, the people on the other side, they control the, the border. And they say, if you want to go through the bridge, you have to pay $2,000 more. Yeah, And they don't have money. And so one of the reasons why they go through the water is because they have no other option, you know. And so, uh, but, but in reality, they should come and say, I'm looking for protection and, and going through the bridge like they should, you know. And even the Shiva Border Patrol tells me, Sister, tell them to come to the bridge, you know. It's safer for them, you know. Really, they're not break, breaking any laws, you know. But we want to see them as, the reason why we, we see them as illegal aliens and we, we don't want to even consider them refugees is so that I don't have the responsibility to take care of you, you know. So if I don't have the responsibility, because once I label you or see you as a refugee, then I'm obligated to help you, you know. And, and that's the fact, you know. And so... Unfortunately, you know, we we uh, people that that say they're Christians, you know, and that refuse to. And you know, the Bible says it very clearly to us, you know, and we see it in Matthew twenty-five, you know, very clearly, you know, who who am I if it isn't I who was hungry, was was needed food, needed, and so these people specifically, very clearly, uh, uh, leave out the gospel for us, you know. It tells us that. That that it is uh, when we are seeing Jesus Christ Himself in in the most for, less fortunate in that person who's suffering, it is the suffering Christ. And that as a as a religious person, I feel that we are we are living out the gospels by by actually. And when we don't we refuse to do that, we refuse to recognize that they're people. You know, and the best way to put them as not people is by calling them illegal aliens, you know? Because you see an illegal alien, it's not a human being, you know? It's, that's, it's all up here. You're just kind of like uh, working with your mind so that you do not fall into this feeling thing about, I am responsible to help, you know? But I don't see how they can justify it themselves. And then if that doesn't work or that doesn't does, does anything to you as to understand why it is our moral responsibility, all you have to do is see the face of that child and that mother. And I mean, that's where God gets us, you know? <laughs> and then he says, you tell me you're not going to help this child and this mother, and you're not going to offer them the care that any human person needs. You know, it's a person, it's a human being, just like you and me. Why would you not help them, you know? Of course you would. I asked, uh, I, was, I was speaking recently to a group of kids at a Catholic uh, elementary school. They wanted me to share what was going on. And so in their, my own terms for children, I was explaining to them why the families left. They left, they, this, these families leave their country because, you know, these kids cannot go to school like you can go to school. And your dad is confident in your mom that you're gonna come home, but their moms don't know that when they go to school, they're gonna be able to come home. They're scared that the child, that, they, that these kids are gonna be killed and they, can, they have to run away from that situation, hoping that they can find a safer place. 
So they come to our border here in the United States. And I say, what do you think we should do to them? Should we tell them, go back home, we don't want you here? And one little child raises his hand and she says, no. What are we supposed to do? Open our hearts and welcome them. It's the most natural thing to say, you know? If a child can understand that, why can't us adults understand that, you know? Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and exploration. Most importantly, the many intersections inside the world of storytelling. Intersection is powered by the Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Go to touchpoint.health for many other podcasts exploring digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, CIO and technology strategies, the challenges of the online physician, the power of the e-patient, and most importantly, the power of storytelling. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.